Hello, everyone. Welcome to, I guess, the first official episode of the uh, Ed Talks Film podcast. Uh, this is where I will be talking to you guys about movies and sometimes talking with other people talking to you guys about movies. Um, if you kind of want to know how this came about, uh, what you can expect from the content on this podcast, uh, you can go check out the introduction episode which is about six minutes long uh but here i'm going to you know take an episode to basically allow you guys to get to know me a little bit uh and hear about my earliest cinematic influences uh sort of the movies that sort of put me on the path to uh falling in love with movies and wanting to pursue film ultimately as as the thing i want to do in my life uh, and I hope that this is, you know, uh, helps get you guys to connect with me a little bit more. Uh, and it'll be, I feel like it would be a good first episode for this podcast. So without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, when I was younger, uh, I watched a lot of movies and a lot of the movies that I was shown, uh, were on like VHSs and stuff like that. But some of my earliest movie memories have Nothing to do with a lot of like the kids' movies I was shown, but the ones that really stick out to me were sort of the movies I uh, I wasn't necessarily supposed to have been seeing uh, when I was that age, and uh, that's something that I guess happens with every kid. You know, when you're a little young, you see you see a movie or you see something that maybe you shouldn't have seen. Uh, but that was actually a lot of my early movie memories. Uh, for starters. One of the first movies I ever remember seeing was a movie called Open Water, which was about a couple who go on like a like some sort of trip where they get to like go swim in like the ocean with freaking, you know, uh, the, the wildlife of the ocean and they get stranded. And then they're like basically trying to survive. I'm pretty sure that movie's rated R and I was like six years old when I saw that. <laughs> And I was, like, enthralled by it, though. I was enthralled by the idea of, you know, the, that, that, that what was scary about this movie, even as a kid, like, what was scary about this movie, even though I wasn't necessarily scared, but was the fact that they were alone in the ocean, stranded, and they just had to swim and survive and, and hope maybe that something would come and save them. And, of course, nothing saved them. They, they died um, at the end of that movie. But, uh, you know, that was, that was an early that was an early movie. For, for me to have seen. And um, I couple that with a film that ultimately uh, I also saw within the, within a very similar time frame, around six or seven years old, uh, that really, really influenced me. And to this day is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that is Jaws. Jaws is a movie that I absolutely love. Uh, I watch it every year at least one or two times. Uh, it's a phenomenal film. It is one of my favorite Spielberg movies, and uh, I just love this movie. And, it, and it's part of the reason why I think I've become so just in in love and fascinated with sharks. Uh, sharks are are my favorite animal. So um, you know, watching watching Jaws as a kid probably played a lot of part of that. 
But yeah, I was young, man, and Jaws scared the living crap out of me at times. Like when they go to that crashed underwater boat and that freaking dead body flies out, that scared the mess out of me when I was a kid. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I would jump and it was it was scary. And I remember they used to do the Jaws marathons on TV because, you know, it was long enough since Jaws uh, 4, Jaws the Revenge, that, uh, you know, all the Jaws movies were in syndication on TV. And I would watch Jaws 1, 2, and 3, and 4 on TV, and I just ate it all up. Uh, and I had a particular affinity for Jaws 1 and Jaws 3 <laughs> when I was a kid, which when I look back on Jaws 3, I'm just like, holy Lord in heaven, why did I love that movie so much? Um, but yeah, no, I love Jaws, and, and to this day, like like I said, like I own it on Blu-ray, I need to get the 4K of it, uh, actually at some point because that's a that's a very special movie to me and it's a movie that sort of it was weird because you know it was a 70s movie and this is a trend that I think is you'll see with me over the course of time either on my YouTube channel or on my uh on these podcasts is that I love 70s movies I love movies from the 70s or movies about the 70s and uh you know Jaws was Jaws is a is is a movie that takes place during the seventies, and it's not just about the shark. It's 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 arguably not even about the shark at all, right? It's it's kind of like the sheriff who's, you know, trying to figure out how to be a how to be like a you know a, handle his family life as a dad during this insane crisis. And at the same time, he's being pressured by the local government because they want to make money, and. You know, ultimately, it is there is like this. It's it's this tale of like you know, heroism and and standing up for not just you know yourself, not just for the community, but 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 for your children and and you know, trying to figure out like oh my god, like these are this is something like I gotta I gotta deal with now because not only am I not safe, my family's not safe, and he's also like a transplant. He's not even like from the island, right? He's from New York and stuff like that. And who could forget Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw, that movie? I mean, their performances are insane in the best way possible, and I absolutely love it. And I ate that movie up, man. I ate up Jaws so much. I've seen Jaws so many times in my life. If I were to argue, like, what movies have I seen the most in my life, I think Jaws would be up there. Like, really, really up there. Um, But yeah, Jaws. Jaws was a very early movie that really helped change me and continuing on the trend of movies I saw way too early another movie that this is a short story but a movie that really sort of you know made it made a very acute impact on my life it was very short but it was very like you know I've never forgotten it and that's RoboCop I saw RoboCop very very young <laughs> and uh I didn't actually get to finish the movie the first time I had seen RoboCop it was a movie that I had you know, my, my father had put it on and we watched RoboCop, uh, for a little bit. We watched it after he got shot and his arm got blown off and all that jazz. It was, it, we, I, the movie ended for me when he, when they were building RoboCop and you got to see that first person view of RoboCop, like as the people were building him and like the office party and stuff like that. Uh, and then my mom just came in she was like, what are you watching? What are you showing them? And then... <laughs> And then I was told to go to my room and I never finished RoboCop until I was an adult. Basically, I didn't see RoboCop until I was in college and I liked the movie. I actually, I actually watched it again last year and I thought it was hilarious. Um, 
a very, very fun movie. But yeah, RoboCop, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget just like, just that memory of RoboCop at just such a young age. Very, very funny. So, you know, time goes on, and one of my interests growing up uh, undoubtedly was the military and war. And that probably has no small part in to do with the fact that we were engaged in conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan um, while I was a child and all the way through my adulthood. And, you know, war was on the news all the time, and it was something, and, you know, my, my brother was in the Navy, and my uncles had uh, all been in the military, so, you know, it was something that was that was very pre- present in my family. My grandfather was a Vietnam War veteran, and uh, so I was just like, oh, war is just like a thing, and, you know, Call of Duty was coming out. Um, Call of Duty was becoming a, a, a franchise at the time I was in my youth. Like, I was five when the first game came out. And then, uh, you know, it got really big with the release of Modern Warfare. Um, by the time I was about nine years old, because I believe that game came out in 2007. And by then I was aware of Call of Duty. Uh, so... You know, I watched a lot of old war movies. I watched, like, the show Combat. I would see movies like Porkchop Hill, Back to Bataan, um, you know, those old movies. Uh, and I would watch the History Channel a lot, you know what I mean? And sometimes I would see, you know, glimpses of some other war movies. Uh, but when I was, like, I want to say around 9, 10 years old, um... My father was like, have you seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? And obviously I haven't. I'm nine, ten years old. I'm like, you know what I watch. You monitor what I watch. <laughs> so I was like, no. He goes, Where, I'm going to show you that movie. <laughs> you can see the. it may not have been the most logical thought process going on behind the scenes. But, uh, but yeah, I remember watching the movie with my dad. And uh, it was crazy, man. And that movie stuck with me. For a very long time. It's still arguably... I could argue it's still one of my favorite movies. Uh, for sure. Even though I, I'm not, I don't watch it as much as I do other movies in that genre. But I will never forget... And, and this is a cliche thing to say, but it is true. I will never forget that Omaha Beach sequence at the beginning of the film. I mean, my God. How brutal. And, and, you know, when I watch that movie now, it's crazy because, because, you know, when I was a kid, I was just like, oh my God, this is insane. This is chaos. And, you know, that was something that was really nuts for me. And it was really like, you know, the filmmaking techniques that Spielberg used, you know, were really, really like, you know, they were, they were, he was putting in the work and you can tell with that film. And while that's not my favorite Spielberg movie, um, when I do watch that movie, I'm just like, I am in awe of, of him, of, of how he used and adapted his techniques for, to tell that story, because I think it worked very perfectly. A lot of his story, the very kinetic storytelling, um, devices that he uses, uh, visually the blocking, the cinematography and stuff like that, that he normally uses, adapting it to saving private Ryan and, and, and taking his style and implanting it into that sort of, um, world is quite frankly amazing and when you see it when you see other movies that have obviously ever almost every war movie has tried to have their saving private ryan moment or their saving private ryan feel to it uh usually through the uh, usually through just using shaky cam and stuff like that 
um, you can just tell the level of the filmmaker that Spielberg is when you see his, you know, when you see people trying to copy him and they just cannot match that energy and uh, that sort of really just his skillful, purposeful approach to the chaos that is ensuing on the screen because it can just seem like chaos and a lot of people go, oh, we're just trying to recreate chaos, but you're not actually trying to recreate chaos because while that beginning opening Omaha Beach scene and a lot of the other scenes, you know, these combat sequences within Saving Private Ryan, they're very chaotic. They are very organized. It is more like the, it's more like the disguise, the guise of chaos is, is present in that film because you can follow that scene. You can follow where Miller's going. You can follow where everybody on the beach is that you need to know, where the characters are, how they're getting there, Right? And it is, and at times it can be disorienting, and there is a lot of flash and awe and, and, and crash, right, that's going on that sort of can take your attention away. But it is very carefully set up, and you can watch that, and you know it's carefully set up in how that eventually plays out, right? When you see where all the, how the, all the characters end up together, how the squad ends up together, and ultimately, at the res, and ultimately when you get to the resolution of that Omaha Beach scene. Like you're like, okay, I could I actually can follow that. There's a chronology to the events that took place. And you know, it, and I think and I think that's to the credit of Spielberg because once you really get into that perspective of uh, Captain Miller, I think that's what helps, right? And I think that's what sort of distinguished a lot of the movies um, you know, that tried to copy Saving Private Ryan versus the film Saving Private Ryan itself is that like that perspective you know, even though he jumps from perspective to perspective, you have that one grounded perspective that is that is meant to sort of lead the way through that scene. Um, and he keeps that in check, and he keep and he makes sure that that's that's something that you can follow. And uh, I think that was really good. But yeah, that movie that and I was also a big World War II nut as a kid, so obviously that movie touched on a lot of things that like you know I'd only heard about. Right, I only heard about the Omaha Beach Lightning's Operation Overlord. I'd only heard about. Um, a lot of the fighting in France and stuff like that. So watching a whole movie that really like, you know, brought that into full effect uh, with some of the greatest cinematography, some of the greatest sound design, some of the greatest directing um, that anybody had ever seen up until that point in, in, in film, I think is, I think it's a bravo attempt. Um, and I love that. I love that. I love that movie for that. And I love that movie for, you know, the story it tells, um, which, yeah, is, is a simple story. However, um, you know, being able to tell a greater story about that war and, and what that meant for the people fighting, right? And what and what what the purpose of the war almost was in a microcosm through the story of Private Ryan and saving him is that the, the you know, the World War II for a lot of these soldiers, right? It was about preserving life. It was about saving life for the future. And uh, that's something that I think Saving Private Ryan is good at nailing, um, nailing in its whole. Uh, uh, how, do, how would you say Nail, nailing in, in its microcosm story that it has going on in the bigger story of the war itself? Uh, so, yeah, Saving Private Ryan. Great movie. Love that movie. Um, it's a cliche thing to say because everybody likes Saving Private Ryan. But uh but it is, a, it is a movie I appreciate, even if I don't necessarily appreciate Spielberg too much now. Um, 
you know, that work that he did do, I think that, that all that brilliant work that he did do prior to 2005, I think, uh, I think really still does stand the test of time and, and should be celebrated. And you know, that movie made me. And while we're on the track of war movies, uh, another war movie that I watched, uh, many times as a kid, but only really was able to appreciate, um, as an adult, uh, specifically not even just as an adult, but more so when I, when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, um, was really when I was a senior in high school was really when I got to fully appreciate apocalypse now, uh, a movie that, uh, is one of my favorite movies of all time, easily one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a movie that has influenced me, uh, influenced my work, influenced my writing, influenced everything I've done uh, creatively. Uh, when I was a kid, obviously, I was caught up in a lot of the whole, uh, um, you know, the, the flashy moments, right? The freaking, the whole, the the ride of the Valkyrie scene with the helicopters and fighting the Vietnamese and, uh, and you know, everything on the boat and the freaking... You know, all, all the all the crazy parts of that movie, all the battle parts of that movie, right, are the things that really, like, you know, stuck out to people and still are the most iconic things, obviously. I mean, nobody hears... Nobody nobody hears that and doesn't think Apocalypse Now uh, anymore. That's just what it is. That's just, that's just how iconic that movie really was. But there was an image... When I saw Apocalypse Now as a kid, that stayed with me forever. And I only was able to understand uh, once I became, uh, like, a, once, once I was almost 18 years old, once I was 17 years old, was, it was when I f- was able to understand that image. And it was the image of the cow being slaughtered at the same time that Kurtz was being killed by uh, Captain Willard. That image, like, scarred me a little bit as a kid. Um, I, I just, like, couldn't believe what I was, like... And I in my brain, I was like, oh, that's got to be a fake animal, right? Because in a movie, you're like, everything's fake, right? Like, nothing's real in a movie. Like, this would be dangerous. But then finding out uh, when I was in high school about how that wasn't fake, I remember just going, whoa. Like, what? They killed that cow. And then... You know, it's weird because when you watch that movie, and this is like sort of, you know, maybe other people have interpreted this way, maybe not, maybe people haven't caught up on this. Um, Like when you watch that scene and you see that cow and it's led there and it's just, it's just being killed. It doesn't resist. It's just being slaughtered. And it's rough to watch. But when you look into the eyes of that cow, uh, you can just see the fear. You can see the, the, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm dying. I'm being slaughtered. This is my fate now. Right? You can see that in the cow's eyes. You can see that fear. You can see that, that just horrible, melancholic nature of, of, of them understanding, like, dude, like, this is it for me. And you see that a little bit reflected in uh in that shot of Kurtz right before the shot of Martin Sheen swinging that uh that that sort of that 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 primal weapon that he uses right because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh uh 
how you say it, there's a lot of um like a use of of symbolism right or 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 like uh you know like a metaphor right for you know that primal nature of human beings right that's that's all littered throughout apocalypse now right like the like the 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 idea that like you know we're out here and we're fighting people we're calling them savages and this and that and yada 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 it's like we're the savages everybody's the savages deep deep down enough you're calling these people savage because they live in a in a, in a in a society that's agricultural and maybe doesn't have as much technological advancements as uh, the united states but we're out there slaughtering fools in brutal horrific ways and they are reacting to our aggression and uh but when you see kurtz when you see that when he turns around and he looks just back at him and you can see like and he knows that's a similar look as that of the cow when the cow is being slaughtered just in the eyes it's it's such a weird thing but uh but yeah, that never left me. And, and and the more I've seen that movie, the more I love the movie. I mean, I own it on Blu-ray. I need to get the 4K version uh, with the final cut so I could at least have it physically because I do own the final cut on iTunes and I absolutely love it. Um, and I love that they put back the, the French stuff in there and got rid of some of the, the, the other stuff from Redux that had uh, kind of ruined the pacing of the movie a little bit, in my opinion. Uh, it made the movie feel a little bit too long. Uh but yeah, man, Apocalypse Now. Uh, that movie really, really did a lot for me. Uh, <laughs> and to this day, I mean, like I said, it's one of my favorite movies uh, ever. And yeah. And I guess if we're going to continue on the trend of war movies, this is a good transition because this will be able to talk about... I'm going to talk about two movies by the same director that really... Uh, did a lot for me and helped change me, especially as a young man when it came to film and something that, uh, I, these came at a very good time because it was close to or around the time that I was deciding that I wanted to be a filmmaker. I think the watching these films came right before that or right after I had made that decision. So it was very close proximity. And I will talk about the, the, the experience I had that did make me want to become a filmmaker, but, um, film auto jacket, and 2001 A Space Odyssey, two films that, uh, you know, many people know, two films that are, are that need no introduction uh, for people who are listening to this podcast, probably. Uh, they're both written and directed by Stanley Kubrick, or uh, uh, films that have, you know, made their way on several greatest films of all time lists, films that are, are, are iconic uh, for, for, for several very, very good reasons. Um, I watched Full Metal Jacket first. I watched it with my uncle and my sister in, in New Jersey. And uh, I remember not being able to sleep that night for a little bit. I remember being scared to go to sleep after I had seen that movie because I was so profoundly disturbed by the acts of brutality that were on display. I mean, everybody talks about, you know, that first half of Apocalypse, uh, of uh, Full Metal Jacket with uh, with Private Pyle and, and, you know, the ultimate, you know, ending of his story and how disturbing that is. But my favorite part of Apocalypse Now has always been the part that took place in Vietnam. I mean, Apocalypse Now of, of Full Metal Jacket has always been the part that took place in Vietnam. It has always been those moments, the interviews with the soldiers, the, the watching them fight, uh, the, the, 
you know, see that whole sniper battle sequence that ends the film. All of that was really, that was the stuff that I loved. I loved watching them be there in it. Uh, that really is, that's really what made, made that movie for me. And nothing is going to, there is no image, there is no sound, there is no moment in film that disturbed me more, I think, acutely at the time than the ending with um, Joke, Private Joker, uh, narrating, and then when his narration fades away, just hearing the soldiers in the background after the horrific sniper battle sequence singing the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme song or the Mickey Mouse theme song or whatever the heck it was, some theme theme song about Mickey Mouse. I, I actually don't know the origin of the theme song itself. And I, and then the cut to, and then the fading to black and then the cut and then the hearing paint it black by the Rolling Stones and then written and directed by Stanley Kubrick. That stuck with me so hard. I c- and and I think is it's it's mo- it's not because those acts were necessarily just disturbing because they were, but I feel like it was because Kubrick earned an ending like that. And I think that that's a that's a common theme with Kubrick films is that his endings really stick out to you, and he earns them. It's not like some BS. It's not like he just throws it in there. Like he like he brings you to a point where like when an ending that like that happens. It's like you almost want to stand up and cheer because you can't believe he pulled it off. And uh, yeah, Full Metal Jacket was absolutely no, no, uh, no different. Uh, but I, I loved it. I loved it, and I still like love that movie. It's not my maybe not my favorite Kubrick movie, but it is a Kubrick movie that I love to revisit. Uh, and in two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. This was a film that I saw in high school as well. Um, it was a film that both my sister and I were interested in seeing. And when we watched the movie, right? Like we didn't, like we sort of got it, not really, but it was still just an extravagant and horrifying piece at times. I mean, when Hal goes off and he just starts kill, like goes on his murderous rampage uh, on the ship and he starts killing off everybody, right? Cause that movie starts out very slow. It starts out very big and then it goes very, very slow into the whole, you know, the Dawn of Man sequence, which I love. I love that Dawn of Man sequence so much. And then it goes, you know, into, you know, everything with uh, Russian United States aggression and space and, you know, that guy. And then when it gets to the two astronauts uh, that we eventually, you know, become uh, the main characters of the film. With them and Hal that whole story you're just sucked in now you may not have been in during the story with with uh with the previous guy uh that you get but but once you give it those astronauts and how there's like a tension there's a slow building tension that whole time and you are not sure what is wrong until Hal loses it and the little clues about how Hal, you know, how 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 smart Hal is, and what Hal's picking up, you know, it made almost the thing about Kubrick movies is that, like, when you're watching, you're watching all of it. Like, he is only sometimes perspective locked, but 
but he he has he takes almost like a god view of the things right he's he's kind of omniscient it's almost like you're watching a a game of chess so to speak which which um i don't think necessarily should be something that is uh out of the ordinary considering kubrick was a huge chess fiend right um you know seeing like and then seeing where that ends up that ending right is insane and every time I watch it, I'm just like, I can't believe somebody did that. I can't believe, like, MGM, like, put that in a movie. Like, they were, like, trusted that. They were like, yep, that's what's going on the screen. And, dude, I still think about it to this day, like, how somebody was able to pull something like that off. And you see little flashes of that still today in, 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 in some in some movies and some sci-fi movies. I, I think my, the most recent film I can think of that sort of had a ending that was very reminiscent of 2001 A Space Odyssey was uh, the film Annihilation by Alex Garland. I feel like that, that film definitely had some 2001 A Space Odyssey vibes going on um, in that sequence between um, Natalie Portman and the alien. But yeah, that movie, that movie forced me in a way, while Full Metal Jacket showed me the bounds of what you can get away with in terms of disturbing content while also trying to make a point, 2001 A Space Odyssey showed me just how intellectual you can really get with a movie and still tell a story at the same time. And I love that. I love that. And it's something that I strive for as well, because it's hard to make, to write something, right? And to not talk about the thing you're talking about in the script or have characters talk about the thing you're talking about, right? Like that's a hard, that's a hard thing. That's, that's a hard thing for, for right to figure out how to tell a story that says everything without saying anything about the thing, right? Without having words that are there to talk about the thing that you, that you're trying to get across. And Kubrick was always a master of that because you're watching a film that is seemingly telling one story, but is ultimately about something else entirely. Uh, and that's really awesome. That's really awesome. And in, in, in 2001, a space odyssey was a movie that really, really, you know, taught me that lesson and was like, all right, now go forward and try and like, do that now. Like, that's your, like, that's your thing. Do it, do it. You know, you know, if you, if you want to do something like this, you gotta, you gotta do it like this. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta figure out a way to, to, to make that, you know, the, the reality. So yeah, I, I, I thoroughly love that movie. Um, and I still watch it. I don't know about every year. Oh, Ooh, sorry, yawning. Maybe not every year I watch it, but it's it's I've I've watched it a good deal of times. I watched two thousand one: A Space Odyssey probably at least once for every year that I've since I've seen it. But sometimes more acutely than others, I'm studying that film. The last time I watched it, I believe, is because I was showing uh, I was showing a friend of mine Kubrick films, and I wanted them to like. I was like, "Oh, you got to see this," and she was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me. I haven't seen this in, since high school. Let me rewatch it." <laughs> so, but yeah, 2001: A Space Odyssey. And now, I guess now is a good time to talk about, you know, throughout all those films, right, and seeing all those movies, and throughout my childhood. I never wanted to become a filmmaker. I never saw that as something in reach. And it was weird because I made little short films when I was a kid with my neighbors. I would sit up my army men and Legos and I would make little shorts like that. Um, 
you know, in filmmaking, you know, I'd make little flip books. Uh, Nintendo had a thing uh, where you could make, like, flip books on, like, the Nintendo DS. And, you know, I would make a lot of things like that. And, um, you know, I, I would, I would want to tell lots of stories, but I never really thought being a filmmaker was something in reach for me or anything like that. I thought I was going to become, like, a lawyer or something else boring or stupid. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really have... Uh, many ambitions when I was in high school in the early half of high school which I think is also you know uh, led to some other uh, things but when I I and a a friend of mine had gone to go see uh, Christopher Nolan's film Interstellar now I had seen Christopher Nolan movies before I'd seen Inception in the movies I saw the Dark Knight in the movies when I was like 10 (laughs) um you know, I, I I don't know if I had seen The Dark Knight Rises by that point, but I might have because there was a point in time where I had like a DVD of The Dark Knight Rises that I watched like every night to go to sleep, um, which is like crazy, I know, but it was like, it was what I did. I watched it and I would wake up in the morning, I'd turn my DVD player off and go to school. <laughs> uh, it was that or Skyfall. Those two movies I would just watch as I was going to bed and then I would pass out watching those movies. I would get far in different lengths every time. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, no, we had gone to go see Interstellar and this is like a movie I'm seeing in IMAX and I'm like, you know, I'm not necessarily sure what I'm going into because I hadn't really seen any trailers. I didn't really know what the movie was about. The only trailer I'd seen was there had been a, like the like a teaser trailer, a reveal trailer that they had made like almost a year in advance, maybe even more than a year in advance uh, when they announced it. And it was like so vague, but it was just Matthew McConaughey narrating about, about, about uh, humanity's purpose lies in, in traveling to the stars and looking above. So I was like, dude, it's a space movie? I don't know. And over the subsequent two hours and 49 minutes, me crying uh, four separate times during the movie, (laughs) uh, at the end, I knew, like, this is, this is, this is what I want to do in my life, man. This is, this is it. And it doesn't even have to be as big as that. I mean, and like the projects I write now and the things I focus on now are nowhere near as big as Interstellar was, but I think my, but my ambitions were as big as making my ambition to make movies as big spectacle wise and physical spectacles. Interstellar was very, very heavy, uh, back after I'd seen the movie. And I think like over time with just maturity and, and thinking about what I actually, the stories I actually wanted to tell my, 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 the scale of the projects I've decided to take on and, and write and devote time to have shifted to a much smaller, more intimate, uh, place. But, um, that movie, uh, it blew my mind. And I know for a lot of people, they're like, it blew my mind, man. Like, oh my God, like there was time travel and not time travel. And like there was black holes and science. And yeah, that stuff was interesting to me because I've always been interested. I've always I've always had a deep fascination with space and, 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 and uh, quantum physics and astrophysics and stuff like that. That like that stuff is super fascinating to me. And I love hearing about that and what's possible, right? And what's what's out there and what's possible uh, for human beings to find and endure and life and where we're going as a species and stuff like that. But 
you know, that movie exposed me to filmmaking at a level that I hadn't really been able to calculate personally in my brain. When I had watched films, I would either like, oh, if I liked the film or I didn't like the film. Interstellar was one of the first times, save for, say, 2001 A Space Odyssey and, and Full Metal Jacket, where I was watching a movie and I was consciously trying to understand the filmmaking behind it, the purpose, the cinematography. I, I couldn't get over like how beautiful the movie was. There were images on screen that I that I couldn't even have fathomed and believed in before. The score, there's just the insane power of Hans Zimmer's score, just that just the just the the big organs and all that stuff. It's just like, whoa. <laughs> like this is a this is an experience. This isn't just like a movie. This is an experience. And that's something that I don't think I'd really had watching films up until that point and like I'd gone to the theaters and I'd seen movies in theaters like I saw Avatar and stuff like that but I don't think I ever really you know I don't think I ever really had seen a film that 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 you know went to that level for me and I think part of it is because there are a lot of the films that I had seen I'd also seen just on tv at home that's where I watched a lot of movies I'd uh, turn on fx tnt and I would just watch the movies that they put on. And if it looked interesting, I'd watch it. And if it didn't, I didn't watch it. And, you know, being in that experience in a theater, I just couldn't believe, could not believe that that was something that, that, uh, that, that, it, uh, that it occurred in front of my eyes. And, you know, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly uh, love that that film and to this day i mean it was my favorite movie of all time for a very very long time uh for years in fact uh, up until recently it was like my favorite movie of all time um but it is a movie that holds a lot of sentimental value in it and you know i don't go back and re revisit much too much these days i don't i don't revisit a lot of christopher nolan work too much in the last year or so it was he was he was a filmmaker that i used to you know, watch his movies a lot. Nowadays, not so much. And that's nothing against him. I think I'm just like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like a wave, right? Like you're, you're in and then you're out, you're in and then you're out. And, 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 you know, I, I assume eventually, it, you know, I get excited every time I hear that he's making a film. I mean, I was super excited for Tenet. I saw that in the movies twice in IMAX. You know, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy his filmmaking style and techniques and what he does. Um, but it was that movie, it was Interstellar, that really changed my perception of not only what was possible on film, but at the same time, it made me realize, like, oh, like, this is something I can, like, this is, like, everything else seems so boring in comparison to just doing that, to just making a movie. Like, why would I do anything else? Like, everything else sucks. <laughs> like, everything else sucks. I don't want to freaking be a lawyer. Or be a freaking uh, 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 working a desk job somewhere, uh, uh, and and work for that my whole life, and like make that like the thing I want to do my whole life. Like, no, that's stupid. Freaking being a doctor, like that's whack. Like, <laughs> like all that stuff. Like immediately, everything else became like, what? Why would I even want to do that anymore? When when there's people out there doing this, I'd rather just do this. I'd rather just spend my life, even if I'm working, you know, freaking uh, uh, some whack, some normal freaking job somewhere, right? Like, I don't know, like just some random job, 
you know, doing video jobs here and there because that was a skill I had developed was video editing and stuff like that. So I've done a lot of freelance video editing work, right? Like, it's like, I'd rather just do that and freaking, you know, um, then, then, and, and, and make movies with the money I make and on the side and stuff like that and write and instead of freaking just whatever this, all this other bull crap people want to do. And, uh, it really, that helped launch me creatively, I believe is, is that experience I have that because after that I wanted to do everything. And as time went on, you know, I developed more interests. Podcasting, for one, I, this is this is far from the first experience I've had podcasting. I've had I've had several podcasts in the past um, that had you know limited runnings, uh, run times, and stuff like that. You know, something I love. I've worked in I've worked in several creative fields before. I've done video editing. I've done uh, multimedia production and stuff like that. Like that's like like this sort of sent me there. And this was just an awesome experience uh, to be able to um, actually watch a movie and and have it change my life, like actually really change my life. So yeah, Interstellar, and that was the biggest experience that I think I'd had with a film until these last two movies, which I'll talk about, that, that I think ultimately have set me on the path that I'm going to now. So, you know, time went on and Interstellar happened and then I got into movies and I watched a lot of movies, um, many, many different movies, the Godfather movies, uh, several war movies, re-looked at some of the movies that we talked about, you know, saw Blade Runner, saw, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, experimenting, watching Bergman, watching uh, Costa Gavras, watching, uh, I'm trying to think of other, you know, dabbling in some Tarkovsky, watching Wes Anderson, right? I became conscious of, of the vo- of the directors and the writers and the voices. You know, Scorsese, I watched tons of Scorsese movies. Um, his movie Silence and The Last Temptation of Christ being huge movies for me. Um, when those had come out, Taxi Driver, another bu- huge one for me, as well as The Departed. Um, those movies are big for me. The Irishman uh, one is maybe probably my favorite Scorsese movie. So, you know, but there was a movie I had seen in 2017, uh, which I think actually might have been more like late 2018 or early 2018 when I had seen it. And that was a little movie called First Reformed by Paul Schrader. And when I had seen that movie, I sort of watched it and then I was like, all right, hip. And then I was like, that was interesting. I don't know if I necessarily got it all the way, but that was interesting. And I thought it was cool. And then I put it away. And then eventually, I had rewatched the movie. One year, I was like, let me rewatch this movie. I was like, this is like a guy who's like legit. And I keep seeing him a lot. Let me, let me rewatch this film. And I watched it once. And then I watched it three more times that year. <laughs> and I became enthralled and very much like just pulled into the story of this man's despair over the environment and his guilt and how that was tied to religion. Now I grew up religious um, and believing in God and, and it's not a, 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 a belief system that I've necessarily thrown away or anything like that. I, I still, I still have a, I still have a belief in God. I still contemplate uh, the divine 
and, and quite regularly sometimes. And it's, and it's, and it's something that's, you know, I've, I've gotten probably more philosophical, more, more, more scientific in my approach to how I think about it and, and thinking just more about it in a deep way than the way that you're taught when you're a kid, you know, the like sort of authoritarian, very much obey way, right? This is what you believe. <laughs> and, um, but I've spent a lot of time like really thinking about it and, um, you know, watching that movie over and over again, it, 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 I think part of the reason why I was so into it was, is because it connected with me on many levels and, and things that I was at crises of faith that I was having, things that I was dealing with, things that I was struggling with, things that I was thinking about. Um, and I found someone, right? Uh, Paul Schrader, a filmmaker who was speaking in a similar voice that I was thinking. And I fell in love with that film and I studied that film and I've watched the director's commentary for that. I've watched that film many times. Uh, it's my favorite movie of all time. And it led me to another film that is also, I would say one of my favorite movies of all time, also written and directed by Paul Schrader. And that is Mishima life in four chapters. Now, I don't imagine that this podcast will get political uh, in a sense, but there are times that because films themselves are political, you know, I will have to make uh, observations or things of the sort, uh, uh, commentary on some of, some of the politics that, that these films are, are commenting on. And we'll probably see that if when I do an episode on Don't Look Up, you'll definitely be able to you know, see some of that. Uh, come through but um you know I, I'd seen a video essay of, of, of Mishima Life in Four Chapters because I was just into Paul Schrader after I saw First Reformed again I was like holy crap this dude freaking oh my god right and then I'd watched Mishima Life in Four Chapters and that ignited a different side of me that I did not necessarily know that I that I knew I had in me to an extent when it came to filmmaking, but like it really became like awakened even more. And it's that like, I'd always wanted to write films that did have like my observations about politics and my observations about the world and stuff like that. And usually my observations about politics in the world are reflected, not like in this sort of the same opinion, but in, they're reflected a lot in my thoughts of like the very extreme personalities that we see. Uh, that rise in politics, and that's especially an issue here in in the United States, is that we have a lot of we have these sort of cults of personality when it comes to politics, and uh, you know, Mishima Life in Four Chapters was a very intimate, very interesting, very very multifaceted, stylistic, experimental look at the life of uh, writer Yukio Mishima, and the things, uh, the belief system, the, the the experiences in his life, the writings. And um, the political atmosphere which created him and turned him into this huge figure and ultimately sent him down the path uh, that, that we see him go down in the film. That, that's absolutely incredible to watch and stunning and at times very heartbreaking even to see um, in the movie. And... and, and you know, those two movies back to back, those were two movies that I, I'm so glad that I had found. And right now, uh, maybe Paul Schrader is my favorite filmmaker. I don't know. 
but he made two of my favorite movies of all time. And I think they're, they're probably there. I would say they're a pretty big reflection on who I am now and what I think about now when I write and I make films, um, the types of stories I want to tell. He's, he's definitely become a huge influence on me. And, and it's because of that, that I, I went and I rewatched, uh, Ingmar Bergman's film, Winter Light, which is obviously first reformed, took a lot of, uh, uh, took a lot of inspiration from that and uh, uh, Robert Brisson's uh, Diary of a, Con- of a Country Priest, and uh, but I would watched Winter Light and I and I and I'd never seen this movie before when I had watched it and I was just absolutely blown away and I loved it and it reinvigorated my love for Bergman which had started right after I'd got out of high school. Uh, I had I'd, I'd found some Bergman movies and I loved them, love them, love them, love them. So yeah, I guess that's my sort of big cinematic journey, uh, how I sort of got to the place I am now, uh, from there to now. (laughs) Uh, I hope that uh, this has been enlightening to you guys in some way, shape, or form. I hope that that you guys uh, have... I don't know. I hope I hope that this is you know let you into a little more insight into me, who I am, who you're who you're listening to. Uh, I hope this helped any of you guys maybe learn about some new movies that you could watch. Uh, and I hope that uh, you know I hope I hope that uh, you enjoy this video. I mean this this isn't a video, bro. This is a podcast. You can see I'm a YouTuber at heart. Um, <laughs> no, but I do hope that you enjoy this podcast. And I hope you guys look forward to uh, listening to more episodes. I'm glad that I was able to do this for you guys uh because you guys voted on it (laughs) you guys wanted the podcast so here we go the podcast is here uh thank you guys so much uh for being here for listening uh if you made it this far and you didn't know i had a youtube channel check the link below um i have a youtube channel ed talks film redux uh where you can see me talk about movie things uh my most recent video was about uh, the Godfather annotated screenplay, 30th anniversary edition. Uh, however, uh, there will be more videos coming soon. I'm going to be doing a video on the A24 screenplay book uh, that I'm very, very excited uh, to share with you guys. It's a, uh, another movie that I really, really love. And uh, I will be doing my top 10 movies of 2021 video which will start out in video format and you guys will be able to see that and then i will do a podcast discussion with a special guest where we will both discuss our top 10 uh films of 2021 together uh which will be really really great and fun and i hope you guys stay tuned for that and yeah my name is ed and i've talked to you about film and i will see you guys in the next one peace out love you stay safe